Hey everybody, it's Jeff. Uh, we're going to start off just a tiny bit different than normal here. We'll get into it in just a second, but uh, we, we try to make this podcast about escapism and uh, having fun and lightheartedness and celebrating the big, wonderful, colorful comic book heroes that bring all of us inspiration. That is not a luxury that everyone has, um, especially right now. So... We here at the Perfectly Acceptable Podcast and the Comics Place as well want to make it absolutely clear. We don't support any type of closed-mindedness, bigotry, or prejudice in our world. We don't believe that there's room for it. We also understand that we are part of a system that is inherently racist, inherently holds people to different values and holds people back. It is a broken system. And every day that we allow it to continue, we are living a life that is exactly counter to everything I believe this country was founded for, everything that is in these comic books. We want to make it clear that there is no room in this world for closed-mindedness, and there is no room in this world for hearts not filled entirely with love. We believe Black Lives Matter. We believe this system is broken, and we know that we can do better, and we will do better. Thanks to everyone out there who is protesting and making their voices heard and treating this like the absolute imperative issue that it is to move any direction other than forward into a better future for our black and brown brothers and sisters is entirely unacceptable. I'm incredibly grateful and proud of everyone out there who's protesting and making their voices heard. Um, I've talked for long enough. I love you all. My heart is broken. Um, and now... We will record a podcast about comic books that bring us joy and hopefully inspire all of us to be better people and build a better future for everyone that is here and everyone in it. So uh, thanks, and we'll see you on the other side of this intro music. Perfectly acceptable podcast, episode 182, the one where we had plenty of extra material at the beginning of the episode to get an intro out of. <laughs> I'm sorry, but hopefully, hopefully <laughs> we got one. Just um, don't don't let them hear that one joke. Oh God, I know. Yeah, you I would know. be super embarrassed that you said it. I know. I still am. I still am. Where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comic books from UPS. We bring them to our comic shop. We count them, sort them, read them, love them, take them home, do all that stuff. Then we come back to the shop. We record a podcast, uh, either related to or unrelated to the books that we read, the comic shop that we work in, or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff Figley. I'm Jeff Figley. I'm Django. Fuck yeah. Kind of like Madonna. 
Yeah, true. <laughs> Django, who autocorrects to all capitals in your phone. Oh my God. I don't know why it does that. It's, it's I'm glad curious. it does it for you because that means that it's like a system-wide thing. And it makes me think that maybe the Django programming language is in Siri's autocorrect system. Is there a Django programming language? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, um, that's... That's here nor there. We do need to mention that the whole preamble is built around us picking up comics on a Tuesday and doing all this stuff on a Tuesday, then coming back on a Wednesday with the announcements that we've had this week that I cannot wait to talk about on this podcast with you, <laughs> my dear, dear, dear Django. So while our compatriot Roman joins the show, we're waiting for you him. A, He'll be here one day. I'll give you a breakdown of what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Action Comics number 1022. Also, Detective Comics, number 1,022. Amazing. Those two books started on the same week all those years ago. It's ridiculous. Uh, Hellblazer, John Constantine Hellblazer, number six. The Boys, Dear Becky, number one. Psychodrama Illustrated. I don't know if that even has a number. I don't know if they believe in numbers. I don't know anything about that. Birds of Prey, number one. Catwoman, 80th anniversary, 100-page super special. And Paul is dead when the Beatles lost John McCartney. John McCartney? Nope, just McCartney. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about trying to put uh, Paul is dead when the Beatles lost McCartney next to John Constantine and trying to, you know, make a cool segue like John and John. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm worried I'm gaining weight. I'm worried I'm gaining weight. Well, um, and I you sh- had some weight to gain. I Well, I appreciate that. I certainly didn't think so. I, I certainly don't have the emotional strength or physical strength to start exercising. No, that's for fools. It's for fools. It's like fool's gold, in fact. The, the only thing that you can do is try to exercise your mind so that when you can't get out of your chair, you can use your mind to bring the remote control closer to okay. you. Okay, all right. So it's like Jedi stuff. Um. <laughs> hey, Roman. I don't know if you can see us yet. <laughs> hey, Roman. I, I just heard some very interesting. Oh, oh you're here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he came. He came to be with us. <laughs> hey, Roman. Uh, today, the role of Roman Statler will be played by Roman F. Statler. Hey, well, we, we just started recording this, Bert, a minute ago. Um, thought, thought we'd get on it. We just did the rundown. We did our intros. Roman Statler played by Roman Statler. Well, listen, now that we're all here and the three of us who used to always do a podcast every week together, I, you know what I love? Roman, I love you. I was talking to him today briefly, and he was like, yeah, I just I kept forgetting. I keep forgetting you guys are doing a weekly podcast. Roman, like, you're always invited to our you, weekly podcast. You, it's yours been, too. Yeah, you've <laughs> been on it. You've been on it more than any other third person in the history of the podcast. Like you, you've been on probably seventy percent of the podcast at this point. So, are uh, you forgetting to eat? Also, like, are no, you? I am. No, no. See, see you. Well, if somebody doesn't remind me that it's happening, I, I, I just assume it's not. We do it at different times every week. But Roman, did you read Action Comics number 1022 by Brian Mikhail Bendis and John Romita Jr.? No, oh, and here I am after weeks of not being on the podcast. First book out of the gate. No, I haven't read it. Okay. Well, as I know you're a big old fan of that guy. 
I would understand not reading this, Roman, because frankly, it's not been one of these books that uh, we have loved. Action Comics, I feel like it kind of hit a lull with the arc leading into this one that took forever to come out. And it was, it was kind of rooted in Leviathan stuff and like the Lex Luthor apex predator thing. And it was like um, Bendis finally made an ass to crawl up inside of. Well, I, this one I really liked 1022. Um, like, Me too. The, the Ramita art is getting better, but the conceit of this issue is that in Young Justice, Connor Kent showed up, who is from the pre-New 52 universe and is, you know, half the genetics of Lex Luthor and then half genetics of Superman. He's a clone of both of them. He's from the 90s, Death of Superman stuff. I always really liked that character, but I was a kid at the time, so he was wearing leather, and I sure I was like, I don't know where the blood is boy. flowing in my body, but it's it's flowing in a way that I think I like this leather um, and this angsty attitude. But uh, the fact that he exists in this reality is sort of um, a continuity error, right? Because pre New Fifty Two, he was around New Fifty Two. He was erased, then Rebirth started, and then like halfway through that, Young Justice has started, and he's been in it. So. It is just, it's kind of like in DC Rebirth number one when, or whenever it happened that uh, Barry Allen touched Wally West and all of a sudden, like all of Barry's memories of Wally came back. This issue is sort of trying to deal with that same question of how do we have Connor Kent exist? Um, And I really liked how they did it. Yeah, they they looped in uh, Ma and Pa Kent meeting Connor and remembering taking care of him in the pre-52 universe like they didn't um, know that they were supposed to know him but as soon as they saw him in the kind of way that uh wally and like barry's memories of wally all sort of flooded to him um mom and pa can't were like oh it's connor and i remember this and when you lost my tractor and yeah and roman i think that i think that you should read this one i think that you would like it it it's weird that dc seems to be just telling bendis to deal with a bunch of these continuity errors that have happened over the last (laughs) eight years of comic book storytelling. I've got a question. Please. At the beginning of Rebirth, we had Clark Kent and Clark Kent Superman, Mm -hmm. right? And one of them had Jonathan Kent, John Kent. Right. The new Superboy, right? And the ones that had John were the people who had come over from the uh, big dumb event that they had with the chip convergence convergence. I love that with the chip kid covers is how you remember it. And they had been plucked out of time from before convergence before the new 52. Right. So shouldn't this Superman remember Connor Kent? Right. That's what I thought too. Or was he was were he and Lois plucked out of time before Connor Kent? Because Connor showed up in like the mid nineties. Is that right? They had to have been plucked out of after because yeah, it had to be after they didn't have a kid yet at that point. Well, or they had the they kid in the time in, in the Lois and Clark story that happened after Convergence. I think we would have to look at when it was, but I feel like it was like at the end of that reality they were plucked out or something. Okay, because yeah, yeah, Connor was. Thought. Connor was part of the return to Superman mm-hmm. right after Superman died. Yeah. So you, you brought your, your friend down and so that they would buy a second copy for you. Cause you'd have two copies and you're limited to one. I did. Uh, Valerie was her name. Oh, was it your girlfriend at the time? Nope. Okay. 
but he's flaring his eyebrows like <laughs> like she was. <laughs> ah, young love, come down to the comic shop with me and buy another. I remember on like one of my first dates with my first girlfriend after Kelsey, I, Megan, I brought her down to the comic shop and introduced her to Roman. I think I've brought every female romantic interest in my life to meet Roman at some point. That's actually crazy to think about. But we'll... And if he can't steal them away, you know that they like you. <laughs> um, yeah, I liked the emotional beats of this. I like the art pretty well, even. Okay, Ooh, wow. it's John Romita Jr. Let's be careful what we say about liking the art pretty well. It's inconsistent and half terrible, but the other half is pretty good, which is better than you could say for him in the last year. I was just glad that it, like, I feel like the previous chunk of issues for Action Comics were very rooted in some sort of Bendis event. And um, this was nice because it had a lot of emotional beats that I put a lot of faith in Bendis to be able to write. And and I liked them. I would give it a 7.5 just for my own appreciation of the comic, just because um, it's hard for me to go over that with the Ramita art. I don't think... I, it's serviceable. It's not terrible, but um, I don't. I don't love looking at it. You said it. Did you get a seven point five as well? Seven and a half. Same reasons. <laughs> Roman, on the topic of books numbered one thousand and twenty-two, did you read Detective Comics one thousand twenty-two? I did read that. Yeah. And I will read Action Comics on your recommendations because every every time it comes out, I I pull it up out of the new box of new stuff, and I'm like, oh, so it's Action Comics. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Which I used to love. What did you think of Detective One Thousand Twenty Two? I liked it. I re- I've really been like I've been liking this uh, this current storyline just because I'm a big fan of Two Face and he's the main villain in this and, and, and the arts were pretty cool. I'm not familiar with this artist, but it's good. This, this issue starts off very uh, Bondian action kind of uh, threat level. Yeah. Like Batman suspended by ropes over a vat of acid and being lowered into it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it has been a long time since we've had a really good Two-Face story. Or like, I mean, I guess yeah. there was the Romita Snyder All-Star Batman one, but um, I, I agree. He's such an interesting character when he's used interestingly, like not just a thug. Um, I like the little bits, because this is like part two or three of this story arc. I like the little bit in here where... Two-Face, the evil Two-Face mentions that he has like burnt the his entire body down the half. Yeah. Where it like as I guess maybe it was just his head and face that were before or face and hand yeah. rather. Yeah. Um I like that. I loved the when when the whole floor is covered in acid, he starts climbing on his henchmen <laughs> and like leaving them in the ass and he's literally climbing over their living bodies to get out. Yeah. And I think that you can do a lot of different things with like what the mechanics of what Two-Face is. Um, like, and in this one, it's taking a spin, which I like, which is sort of two very different personalities that aren't able to know what the other, like what's going on in the other one's brain. Mm-hmm. So like in the issue before this, uh, Batman and um, Harvey Dent were together and they were like, you know, Harvey was basically trying to keep a secret <clears throat> from Two-Face that he, oh, he's trying to keep the secret that he knows who Bruce is, that he knows who Batman is. Yeah. And I think that Two-Face doesn't know, I'm just remembering these things from like three months ago when they came out or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's a good take on a, a Two-Face story. So this issue 
directly references the Joker from the new 52 with his own face stapled to his face. What do you guys yeah. think of that continuity wise? I was surprised. I was surprised to see it just cause I don't know. I thought the Joker had that Joker had recovered, healed his face or been killed or something. I don't know. I'm with Roman. I, I was well, surprised that they decided to do a continuity jump back to 28 outside of the fact that Tomasi was writing Batman and Robin at that time. So it, so he probably wrote the suicide scene that we see the, the resolution of here back in like seven years ago or whatever. Right. But how weird, right? I can't imagine when he wrote that he was planning on making it a tie into an upcoming Joker war series, like seven years later or something like, well, I guess for me, like the new 52, I thought was mostly, discounted at this point in rebirth because for new 52 joker to have actually happened we have to also have the new 52 batman be the batman that's happening and i feel like those are disconnected at this point yeah i i feel the same way i just also don't know how you can have a person's face removed and then have it go back onto their face well that was that was makeup that was trickery by the joker was it it was all yeah. just makeup trickery yeah by the end he had revealed that he didn't actually cut his own face off that is such a bummer i wish you didn't tell me that sorry yeah i didn't realize realize that that's a oh. that's a bummer i like him more when i thought that he had actually done it but they have to they, like they can't leave him like that yeah kids couldn't watch suicide squad <laughs> oh, yeah i can't even keep it straight i'm just Ever since Morrison did Batman, I'm just approaching all, like all comics that way is all characters, whatever, no matter how many re- reboots there are. If it everything happened, it happened. Or all happened somehow. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 And I like that stance on it. Um, the artist, Brad Walker, we didn't mention is doing the art here with uh, Tomasi. Are you guys excited for Joker War? I'm finding myself pretty excited for it, even though we've had like two prequels like this that don't really give me any idea of what the hell it actually is. I mean, yeah, I, I just like Joker stories. Yeah. 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 That should be, I mean, I don't even know what it is. Is it all the, is it all the previous Jokers, the mid 52, all of them fighting each other? What is it? No, oh God. That's going to that, be the, the three Jokers, right? That would be a new 52 event. If they like, for <laughs> sure. That's what that sounded like. No, it's just like, whatever. I think that it's like, you know how in the beginning of the, you know, the Batman run, the Jimmy TIV Batman run that's coming out, like they go and met the designer and like Penguin and Riddler and Joker and Catwoman and they all had theories of what they wanted to do. I think that Joker War is the Joker making his thing actually happen. And, um, and his thing it's, I think was better than what the designer had come up with. For yeah. Him. Yeah, and so it's it's really it's mostly going to be covered in the James Tinian Batman run. Yeah, punchline. All you need to know is punchline, Roman, and we're also gonna, clown killer. We're going to know all about oh, punchline. On <laughs> those yeah. are trigger words for Roman. He's very into that. That's a they finally killer. scraped through the bottom of the name barrel and found clown killer. Hey, Django, do you want to ask Roman if he picked up the same uh, the same thing that you picked up reading this issue? What did I pick up in this issue? Brain salad. Oh, that's right. Roman, there is a line in here where somebody, gosh, Joker. where is it? Joker you know, when, says, 
Yeah, let me find this. I remember here. the words brain salad. He says, good thing I have a medical degree and can perform brain salad surgery. Oop, I mean brain surgery. Do you know what brain salad surgery is? Plug the kid's ears, ladies and gentlemen. It's a blowjob. It is a blow Jasper. It is. It is. I even I even had to look it up on Urban Dictionary for Jang. Like he was like, "Do you know what this is?" Why they put why a blow Jasper? That? I don't know why it's. I don't know why. Um, but I know that in I want the, the etymology. Yeah, oh, in, I don't think that we need to do do that on our podcast. Everyone is it, is it a runic? Norse runic, Norse runic origin. <laughs> what did everyone give Detective Comics this? The return to bi-weekly comics <laughs> uh, after two and a half months. I'll give seven it a, and a half. I was just yeah, I was just gonna say seven and a half. I'll yeah, go like seven and a half also. Yeah, yeah. The art I think was more compelling than the story for me. Exactly the opposite yeah. of action comics this week. Yeah, definitely, definitely the art was more compelling. And I, I like, I think the art has gotten better for it because this has been the artist on the, the bulk of the Tomasi run since he started mm-hmm. a year ago or so. Roman, did you read Hellblazer number six, John Constantine Hellblazer number six from Simon Spurrier and Aaron Campbell? I haven't because I'm behind on that series. I've only made it to issue three. Okay, oh. well, this, this is... I haven't read it either. This, this. is a self-contained one-shot. It's by uh, Aaron Campbell is the artist who also did the art in Infidel, which we really liked. Um, and it it's just John doesn't show up for like eight pages or something. You're you're a quarter of the way through the comic or more before John Constantine shows up. And uh, you it it follows his new sidekick who is mute from some car car wreck trauma, and he's hanging out with his mom in the hospital and he's seeing a ghost, like a pretty girl who is actually a ghost who's kind of harvesting souls or something in the hospital. Harvester of sorrows. Yeah. And, and so John shows Metallica? up and, and has to help him, help him get through that. And uh, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's got flavors of infidel because it, you know, it turns out that the ghost hates immigrants and is really kind of like, yeah, it's it's really similar in subject matter to Infidel, which was a comic we loved a couple of years ago about a haunted tenement that was powered by racism in the neighborhood. Written by Pornsack Pinachotze. Yes, and illustrated by the same guy, Aaron Campbell. Yeah. Um, this is a really good little one shot. It loosely ties into the larger story that they're telling, which is, I think, old John Constantine showing up and messing with young guy that we're reading about. But um, you don't need to know anything extra. You don't need to read anything before or after this to get a really nice little horror vignette. And uh, I'm constantly impressed with how good this series is because it's been a while since we had a good Hellblazer. Now, Roman, I, I have a feeling maybe you didn't read this one. Did you read The Boys, Dear Becky? I read The Boys. Oh, I, I had, I had to. I, I read the entire series of The Boys and the spinoffs. Did you? Okay, Roman. Really? We have to not yeah. let Jeff know the big, awesome surprise near the end. <laughs> I don't okay. think that Roman even remembers it. Okay, good. Do <laughs> you remember the big surprise at the end of The Boys? I don't well, know, but well, James has been talking about it for a long time. Well, don't they refer to it in Dear Becky? 
Motherfucker, no. Do they? Okay, that's awesome that you read all of The Boys. I, only having read the first volume of The Boys when I worked at Barnes & Noble, uh, came into this uh, very impressed at how well he writes people in vernacular. He, uh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's like uh, Irvine Welsh. Have you ever read any of his books? He wrote no. Train Spotting. Mm, right, right. And right. Porno, which was a sequel to Train Spotting, and uh, Mirabu Stork Nightmares that they made a movie out of. Um, but he writes in only phonetic British dialects. It's crazy because I, I told Django this the day after reading it, but I ha- it, basically I had to read every line of dialogue three times because I wrote, read it once to see if I could like figure out the words that they were supposed to be. And then I would read it again to see if I could read it in a way that sounded like an accent. And then I had to read it a third time to be like, okay, now what was it actually saying in the context of the story? I was three quarters into this before I realized that I was reading something that was hard to read. And it like... <laughs> I think I've just read so much Irvine Welsh and uh, Garth Ennis comic book that I just, I just at some point it clicked for me and I just can sit down and do this. I bet Roman doesn't have any problem with it. Yeah. That happens with me too. And I think, and I, I think Garth Ennis on the boys with Wee Huey, I think that's kind of what taught me how to read Scottish dialect in print. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because, hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it wasn't any, any problem. This, this one is constructed in a way that I thought was really interesting because it gives you some of that really good Garth Ennis sitting around the pub drinking dialogue mm-hmm. that makes some, like, political or, or social commentary, and then it jumps into the ultra-violent superhero kicking ass kind of stuff. And then it gives you a little more heart by the end. And usually you have to wait to like issue 50 before you get a Vietnam story flashback or like just people sitting around talking bullshit in the bar. And it, I thought it was an interesting choice to have this start with Wee Huey talking to his trans friend about how, how, like, how do I of- deal with these things. I love the line of like, did you just misgender me? And it was like, is the, their, their did you just Billy. dead name me? Oh yeah, you just dead name me. And the name is Billy. And and it's like, no, I said Billy, B-I-L-L-I-E. And I'm like, no, you said Billy, B-I-L-L-Y. And it's this yeah. very, I was like, is he allowed? To, is this, is, it was, I, I loved it. And I could just feel Garth Ennis kind of compassionately not giving a fuck. Yeah. Sort of like, I'm clearly well-intentioned here. I'm also not super afraid of offending anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was a really good, um, just kind of a, a more real conversation than you would see in a comic that was from like a, a, a major publisher, you know, and, and none of it was mean. It was all pretty well-intentioned and, and just kind of, kind of poking at the way that we talk about different people so yeah. i do any of the context of two old friends that can you know right talk to and each make other mistakes in front of each other yeah. yeah 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 it was very well done roman were you a big fan of the boys having read all of it yeah um the boys and preacher are my favorite garth ennis books ever hmm. yeah that's cool um, i didn't i didn't i don't know that we've ever actually talked about it yeah and and you know i and i love his stuff I mean, his war stuff is excellent right like, uh, Sarah, I finally read Sarah. Oh yeah, because um, of Django, and yeah, that's still my favorite. Um, uh, I forgot the, the I, publisher of that. T 
TKO. Or oh, TKO. TKO, sorry. yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's my favorite thing from them so far. Yeah, I mean, two, you're two people who have, I think, much more informed opinions about the merit of this story related to the, the series provide, or prior to it. So I'm curious what your scores are for it. I would give it, I think I'd give it a 7 to a 7.5. I, I, I think it's really well done, and I think that you would like it a lot more if um, you had anything that it was like building upon. I didn't, mm-hmm. however, so I, I didn't super enjoy it, but I don't, that's not based on the merits of the work. I was really glad to hang out in this world again and, and see all these people that we haven't seen in a long time. Not all of them. Spoiler alert, not everybody who cuts definitely not Billy Batson's tongue out there um, <sighs> makes it through the whole thing. Um, so this is uh, obviously happening at some point earlier, like some point before the end of the big story. But uh, just, just, I don't know. They're, they're like old friends that I haven't seen in seven or eight years. And it took me a minute to figure out who this kid was an allegory for, but uh, he's, they cut out his tongue and then he tries to say Shazam with no tongue. And he's just like this little impotent. I didn't get that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Super, super fun. Shazam. Okay. Shazam, Wow, that's, okay, that's fun. All right, yeah. That's another instance of, I just like, Roman, fuck you for never having any flaws, first and foremost. And second <laughs> of all, I, I'm rusty on my comics. I've been reading a lot of older comic books. Roman, I know you have been too. Don't take this away from me. I don't know why <laughs> my, uh, my glasses need cleaning, if you know what I mean. What do you guys give it? Um, what do you give it, Jake? You give I it give it an eight. Yeah. yeah, I'm right around that. Maybe that's my book of the week. I, I'm, yeah, like Django said, hanging out with old friends, and it just it all felt. I mean, ten years have passed for Huey, mm-hmm. um, but it felt like it hasn't been that long, and just you know, catching up. It felt really good. It made me want to reread The Boys and Preacher all, and and Hitman yeah. all at the same time because they oh, yeah, all yeah, have yeah. these wonderful tender moments in them you know it would be a really good deal um what if the two of you or one of you did a issue by issue podcast about the boys (laughs) because i want to read the boys also why don't you do it with us okay i just can't be in charge of editing and putting it up why don't we do a trade paperback at a time Maybe we could get a book club. Take some together. pressure yeah. off. Yeah, but okay. not, but not, but not yet. There's enough. There's enough going on right now. There sure <laughs> before, is. Before adding another series, you oh. fucking cowards. So I've got one <laughs> that I I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to give myself credit, but I don't think that Django was going to read it unless yeah. I put a little bit of pressure on it. No, give now, yourself a hundred percent credit for that, buddy. Okay, and I'm curious if Roman also grabbed Psychodrama Illustrated by Gilbert Hernandez. I did it. I did flip through it a little bit. There are some bazongas in this. There, there are <laughs> giant no other wandering around. <laughs> um, and what impressed me is there's panels where she's like running and stuff, and and it's it's gravity's in effect. Yeah, she talks about that. Um, I have um. And uh, I have a deep respect for the tit. No, um, I have a lot of like deference for the Hernandez brothers only in that many creators that I value a lot talk about how Love and Rockets is one of the most important comic books of all time. And I think maybe we started at a bad point here. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> and 
and I would like to read it all as well. Um, Roman, have you read any Love and Rockets? I've read some random issues here and there. I mean, I kind of know real roughly who the main characters are. Why don't we do an issue by issue podcast? (laughs) (laughs) It's an ongoing joke. Um, Yeah. So I didn't know what this was. I don't know that it's intrinsically tied to love and rockets, but it is still put out uh, by Gilbert Hernandez. One of the, 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 you know, Los Bros Hernandez, um, Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez. And this issue, I have no idea what it was now i will try and tell you what i think this was i think that this was a book that mostly followed around like a 50 year old woman who has the most enormous breasts in the world and mm-hmm. we're not saying like just like big like lots of drawn exposed breasts that are like nine times the size of the person's head yeah um and I think that she is like an aging actress who has a sister who is an actress as well, who's maybe more successful. Mm-hmm. And we're sort of hanging out with the sister who is mostly in fetish films and not very popular movies. And she's just sort of like working to feel better about her career as related to her sister while she talks to a boy. Is that what this was? Yeah. So I think that the sister has taken a handful of roles from the main character. Um, And the, the main character seems to be like really kind about it. Like she understands that she's older and not as popular and like doesn't fit into the, the pop culture reasons that people want to see her sister in these movies instead it was it was confusing it was unrealistic in the least comic book way that i've ever seen and it was kind of sad and also really hard to figure out why i was having those emotions because i didn't understand it for a second i didn't understand it for more than a second but and what I think, and it, it at times felt like this Velvet Glove cast in Iron, which I read not too long ago. Oh, I'm jealous of it. Um, by Charles Burns um, or and Daniel Klaus. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Charles Burns is Black Hole. Um, which I put, I put those two, Adrian Tomina and the, the Hernandez brothers, kind of all in this like similar time, Fantagraphics, alt comic scene and it all it didn't quite have dream logic but it almost did but it it was still effective at making me feel emotions and i i did feel like at the end of the story i was like oh maybe this is what this was about which is a really interesting way to tell a story especially when it still works like it did still work and it was very confusing and it it made me curious like what more of their comics are like because it it is in a very non-western comic tradition but it's still it still made me feel emotions like sadness about this person who's aging and still trying to feel good about herself but in the shadow of her sister um it took me three sittings to get through and normally a comic that is this obtuse and kind of muddy if it takes me three sittings, you, you get one. Yeah. And then I tap out. 
Um, but I kept coming back to it, which is a testament to something. And I don't like, I don't know why it was compelling enough to keep trying to get through. I don't know that I would have been able to come back to it. I just sat and read it all in one sitting. And it was one of those times where like your mom or your girlfriend walks by and they look at the exact (laughs) wrong comic book or the wrong page. She's like, Oh, that's just like the most enormous breasts and exposed vagina I've ever seen in the black and white comic book. You like big ones. huh? (laughs) (laughs) We've never talked about this, Jeff. Um, Yeah. Just an interesting book. I don't know. I, I'm going to give it a 7.5 and I wonder if that's a little bit high, but it made me feel like I was on the outside of something looking in, but like just like on the cusp of getting to be a part of it as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm going to give it a a six, I think. And at the same time, it makes me, it definitely makes me want to investigate these guys further like the we should read years. maggie the mechanic is what we should read but yeah yeah i mean somebody put the the next three books of theirs that i should read in my hands and i would do it um i don't think that this was a particularly good comic and yeah. i don't think that it, it's something that would have like i think that if this had been offered by any other creators it wouldn't have made the cut i have no idea what it is it's like it's, it reminds me of being like eight years old and finding porn for the first time or something. You're just sort of like, my brain doesn't function in a way where I can fit this in it. And, and yeah. yeah. That's how it, I feel a lot with Hernandez brothers, either together or on their own. With their work is everything you guys just said, I always end up feeling that way after I finish an issue of it. And I kind of end up coming to this conclusion of going, well, I just read something by a comics master and I didn't really get it, but I feel good that I did my due diligence by paying attention to this. Yeah. And I have weird emotions, even though I don't yeah. know why. Like, I don't, It's almost like when there's an album that puts you in a headspace, but you don't, you can't remember any of the songs. Good, good comic, but I don't know why. And I'm going to penalize it for that. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Well, here's <laughs> one. I'm curious of Roman read. This is fun because... <laughs> Roman. What did Roman read this week? Did you read, and I wouldn't blame you if you didn't, because it was enormous, Birds, Birds of, of Prey. prey. <laughs> Number one, maybe, <laughs> Birds, by Brian Azzarello. Birds of Prey. Stormtroopers hitting the ground. Emanuela Lupacino, Ray McCarthy, Trish Mulvihill with John Callis. Did you read that? I did not. Jesus Christ, what did you read a, this week? It's a bunch of creators I don't care about <laughs> and characters I don't care about, and I looked at the cover and I was like, oh my God, that's terrible. Yeah. That's 100% fair, Roman. That's one of those cover artists I just cannot stand that artist. Yeah. Jane and I Scott Campbell? Just, yeah. We I did both just grab the B cover. The This isn't the A cover. This is the B cover. Oh, was there um, another cover? I didn't even see There it. was, and it was more respective, uh, more representative of the interior art, but... Um, it may it may all be in files. We might just have... Yeah, it was a sub count thing, but... Um, okay, this was a very big comic. So Roman, if you're gonna take a yeah. nap, might yeah. maybe and we, nap. Are, and we already had like Catwoman and Swamp Thing specials that were yeah. also very big, so I went with those. Yeah, yeah, we had a couple very large comics this week. So um, this is a hundred pages, I would say. Yeah, and it's written by Brian Azzarello, who I'm I do notoriously not like that much. I did mention um, them into I, I was talking about 
Azarello with uh, through text message with Will Elmer recently, and he was asking for a good Wonder Woman book, and I was like, the Azarello Wonder Woman book is really good, and he's like, oh, you guys have not said positive stuff about Azarello in the past, <laughs> and I didn't like Batman Damned. Both very, very good points, and I would say that his Wonder Woman run is very good, and I think that's maybe the only thing of his that I, I like. I didn't hate this book, though. You didn't? I didn't, I didn't hate it. Would you read a second issue if there is one? Because that's unclear. I'll tell you what. I think that I like the character that is Black Canary. Okay. I think that she is a character that if I were to read more of, I would like a lot. Um, I do want to say that her name is pronounced Dinah, but I can't help but wonder if it's Dina. Um, <laughs> Cause it's D I N a H, right? You just don't, you don't hang out with, with Dino enough. Cause he will say Dinah more than once in ev- in any four hour block. So, so she's a pretty central part of this story and I like her quite a bit and I like how she's written in this. Um, the previous like Harley and the Birds of Prey book that came out um, around the time that the movie came out that was written by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti. Yeah. Like I remember complaining about just like how over the top sexualized it was. This one wasn't quite as much as that one, but it was still pretty sexualized. Yeah. And I just was sort of thinking about why that makes me feel weird in this particular book. And I think that it wouldn't, I think that I, maybe I feel weird about it in this book. I don't think I, I don't think the execution of how sexual or not sexual they chose to be in this book would have affected me if it had been not Brian Azzarello writing it. Like if a woman had been writing it and not this like kind of creepy leering older dude, that's rude. um, I would maybe feel better about it. But like the fact that we're getting this many like powerful female characters that are like also being openly represented as like very sexual and like in this one, Black Canary is like at a bar and she's like, you know, it's the worst barkeep. And the barkeep's like having a need, you need to have filled. And she's like, yeah. And then she walks over to these like bros playing pool. And then she like wakes up the next day and she's like, I sure am feeling good after doing those bros. And I'm like that. Yeah, that sucks. And I don't like that from any writer, but I, think i would be able to respect it if it were like a woman writing women feeling that way but instead it's like brian azarello doing it and that just yeah. makes me feel like i don't want to read you saying this about these characters yeah we've had enough of the chuck dixon kind of writing female characters over the last however many years decades yeah, yeah. the woman had done it and, and, and just as a side, so I didn't know this, I guess Black Canary and Green Arrow aren't together in the whatever universe we're in now? This is, this is, a, this is like, this is a side universe. It's I don't Black think, Label, technically. It's Black so. Label, so I don't oh, think that it's, it's connected label. to anything. And I, I'm 100% with you, Jeff. The, I didn't, I picked this up to read just because it was kind of a thin week. And I thought yeah. I'd have time to get through a whole bunch of big books. And, you know, why not? It's, it looks like an event book because it's so thick. And I didn't even know that Azarello had written it until I got to some really weird pun where somebody completed somebody else's sentence. I was like, God, that's hmm. as bad as a Brian Azarello line. And then I flipped to the front. I was like, oh, fuck, I'm halfway through <laughs> Brian Azarello comic. And that's why all the sex stuff feels so weird and gross here. Because he, it's, it's almost like a hallmark of his at this point. And... Yeah, I think it has a place, 
I think that place is not in a comic about a character that has been marketed heavily to 14 year old girls. And yeah, yeah. Why did they have Azarello write this? I don't know. And <laughs> and it's it it is weird. I th- it's less overtly sexual than the Amanda Connor one, but but that one was fun sex. This doesn't seem like fun sex at any point. Yeah, I just, you know, I want to create a healthy relationship like with what type of sexuality is empowering and which type is cheesecake for a book. And mm-hmm. um, on my journey with that one, I don't think this one passed the test. However, I did like his work with Dinah. Did you, uh, what did you think of the art? Because I don't think it's super special, but I think it's really good. Like pretty good Amanda Connor. Um, Nothing like I, I actually really like her cartooning ability when she's doing when she's telling a gag in one panel or one one cover. I think she's really really good. Um, I think that her issues are better than a lot of artists, um, and I thought that this was like like approaching her level of storytelling. Anyway, okay. I give this a six. Also, I, I wanted to like it a lot more than I did. Um, it's one of those things. It's like who is this for? And maybe it's just aggressively not for me and it's for an even dirtier old man or an even younger young lady, but it ain't for daddy. Oh, I mean, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> an even dirtier old daddy. Roman. Roman. <laughs> Who's your monster? Yeah. And I, and I wasn't even into it. So who is it for? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Roman, you did read the 80th anniversary special of the Catwoman. I read all of that. And and let's let's get into it. But Django, Roman said something very interesting to me. I had a brief chat with him this morning about the rally and planning this. And he mentioned that he read this. And I mentioned the Tom King one. And he described it in a way that I was like, oh, no, the Tom King one, like where she's pregnant. And he was like, yeah, that's what I just described. And I was like, oh, we have a different understanding of that. And yours is more informed than mine. So Did you hate uh, it, Roman? Oh, no, I loved it. That was my favorite story oh. in the issue. Okay. So yeah. should we go? This first one is written by Paul Dini with art by Emanuele Lupacino, the same artist who did that uh, Birds of Prey issue. How did we like the first story? I didn't read all of this one. I read some of them, but you guys read all of it. How was the first one? I thought it was fine. It's like her chasing down a guy who has tricked her into his lair and she outsmarts him. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. Okay. I thought that it was kind of a, a scary start because I was like, if I have to read a hundred pages like this, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. If I had to read 20 pages like this, it would get a seven, but I'm not interested in reading a hundred pages of a 7.0 comic. Yeah. The following story is written by Anne Nascenti, who has done some pretty impressive stuff and was an incredible uh, editor. And the art is based after um, my favorite Catwoman costume. Well, no, probably top three for sure. The one that I used to wear as a child around town all but, over. The Batman <laughs> Returns stitched together Michelle Pfeiffer that. one. A Ropes and Rocha. Rocha. Yeah. I um, liked the art in that a lot. Yeah, that was cool. And it had some good little, like that one person says, I don't know how you can get into that costume, which I like that little bit of humor there because it is like, yeah, how do you put that thing on? I can tell you. Into it. I can tell you how you put that thing on. <laughs> it's not so difficult, actually. And a seven-year-old Jeff could do it, or a six-year-old Jeff, or whatever. <laughs> that, so I remember my dad ta- talked about um, Madonna and Dick Tracy, 
and Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. And like, it's the only two times that I've heard him talk about somebody being poured into a, an outfit. And in both of those, he's like, yeah, like, I don't know how she got in that she was poured into it, which I think is a really a funny way, way to describing it. it. Um, <laughs> And it looks like there's some donut humor in there. That's very good. Yeah, that, that yeah. story was, I thought it was okay. It was a little bit, uh, a little bit something that turned me off. Which yeah, it was, it was a little bit, these kind of books, huge books like this, I, I go story by story and then I have the same thing. I was like, oh boy, I don't know if I'll actually read all these. If, you know, these first few aren't that good. Yeah. Thank goodness they made the third one, Tom King and Michael Janin. Holy yeah. fuck. And that was amazing. So it was amazing. Now, Roman, can you, can you explain your take on this book? Yeah. And, I, and I'm really curious about your guys' take. Because, yeah, reading this, um, I concluded that, oh, this is a cool story of the Earth 2 Catwoman and, and Batman who mm-hmm. got married and had a baby named Helena who grew up to be the Huntress, the original Huntress from Earth 2. Right. And the um, story is called Helena. Yeah. Yeah. And Batman died, you know, when their, their Helena was just a, just a kid, leaving her and Catwoman alone. Well, okay. that's what I thought it was. But Jeff brought up, it ties into an annual that Tom King did. Yeah, the Tom King annual number two for Batman that came out a couple of years ago, which had... Batman and Catwoman through the ages, like from when they first met, it's got like her escaping from his house in a really fun way and just kind of their love from the beginning of time to the end of time. And by the end, he's died of cancer, I think. And she's left without him. And it's when somebody asks me for a romantic comic, if we have it in stock, I just, I'll hand that to them and sometimes not even ask them for money for it. Just like take this away and, and this is this is your romantic comic. I keep I I've had one in my back seat forever, just in case somebody needs it. Um, so I read it as uh, kind of a, a fill for that story. Well, I don't know um, that Phil Satile has anything to do with it, but it is interesting <laughs> that when we talked about Batman Annual Number Two, we never tied earth Two huntress batman catwoman to it we were just like this is a possible future of their relationship but like what if it's all the same thing like what if he's been writing the earth to them or what if he did cast that future story and it is an elseworlds or like i don't know i i i'm interested in in the connection between all of this because he has written them to have a daughter and to have bruce leave them as huntress's origin would imply Mm-hmm. so what is all of this does it happen well, in both universes so it definitely happened in that in that mid 80s late 80s like broderick drew it or something there were two issues of comics that had the batman and catwoman get married and have a baby right and one of them was from batman's perspective and one of them was cat from catwoman's perspective but they were different titles i think so i could see him taking inspiration from that I really like the concept that maybe this is actually happening on another earth. And I could see that like the fulcrum point for that could have been the booster gold story in like Batman 46 or so. By Tom We're just King. prepping all of the people who are going to say like that Tom King run, like didn't ever happen. Like it, it, 
I think it's cool that maybe it's kind of baked into it that it's like mm-hmm. an Elseworld story or something, or it could be an Elseworld story because it it is all of the breadcrumbs that lead up to an Elseworld story that we know happened. Right. Um, right. And as long as you ignore the Night of the Monster Men, you can get away with that, <laughs> which crossed over with everything else. But th- this story is amazing because it just jumps through a bunch of different moments that lead up to ultimately Catwoman having a baby. And I love like, you know, it starts with like her in a a, a machine and she's like, it's cancer. He's like, it's not cancer. And <laughs> I just was like, man, I really missed Batman and Catwoman written by Tom King. Like, I love the way he writes these two. Uh, and they have this like, they're always down to have banter back and forth and they mm-hmm. just always do it and i i love it and they care a lot about each other and the way that he also writes vulnerable relationships like we're gonna need at some point a paperback that just collects all of the small short stories that tom king did expressing the love between batman and catwoman you know all the different annuals and all the different yeah. anniversary yeah. shot issues and that'd be nice that'd be nice I, there's a scene in that story where they're on that rooftop and I forget what it is exactly, but Batman's just kind of the last panel. He's just kind of stumbling through something saying, well, I, I thought, I thought it'd be better this way. I thought you'd like it or something. And it was so human. Yeah. 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 And this, like this story is a good, I think, I think a good representation of uh, having a baby to which yeah. I know he's got a couple of kids. So this is something that probably was, you know, he just put a mask on his wife in his head and then wrote an actual conversation that they had. <laughs> I wonder, I, I just kept thinking, like, is Batman really letting Catwoman go out and fight crime with a while pregnant? Like, Batman doesn't let Catwoman do anything. I dude. know. Yeah, I mean, not, not like, that that's the role of anybody, <laughs> but just sort of like... She let him make her a costume that would fit her pregnant belly. Like that's yeah. who let somebody do it's something. It's just sort of like, you got a baby inside of you. You got to be a little bit safer than out here doing flips off of a roof. Um, that's how good they are. They're training I, Helena from the gate. I, I really liked that story. Uh, how was the following one? The, uh, the Jeff Parker, Jonathan Case one? Yeah. It was silly. Um, I was like the convention. No, that was that was the one where the aliens come down and she like it, it's got a real sixties vibe oh, to well, it. Yeah, it's the Julie Newmar Catwoman. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um that was good. That I liked the pinup right before it, even yeah. more. Like oh, yeah. uh the hang in there joke. Um but yeah, that that wasn't my favorite, but I thought that it was an Um Yeah, it sounds like uh, it was an in- interesting to that era interesting one for a Django who did or didn't just freeze um liam sharp wrote and drew a catwoman story roman that that, that was interesting it was i like the art um the story i don't know the story didn't really do anything for me kind of just didn't really go anywhere it was very short though yeah yeah I did read the following one, which was written by Mindy Newell with art by Lee Garbett, who did Skyward. And that was a good one. That was my second favorite Catwoman story in that issue. So I read this one because the following day after getting these, Django said that one of them was like, kind of made him uncomfortable for being a little bit like over the top sexy. And I kind of, I assumed that that was this one. I don't think it was. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> she just makes some comments about like how much time she spends on her knees. And um, 
Oh, maybe it was. It, that it one. plays oh. up the scene in year one where Catwoman is a prostitute, and she. It's early on in her relationship with Batman. He comes to try to talk to her, and she is trying to be like the overly sexual, like treat him like a client type thing, and um, and so I assumed that that was the one that you were talking about, but I actually, I actually didn't dislike it at all. I I, I liked it. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's from a Catwoman run that I didn't read. It was like a four-issue run. I don't remember who wrote or drew it, but it, that that L in the Little Bird logo on the beginning tells you that that's, that's the time period. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't. I guess I don't remember it well enough to really like it or really dislike it. Oh yeah, that is that is the one where she's super sexual. Like she's actually got a got a client there. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, right when she decides on her future careers, right during yeah. sex with the client. <clears throat> I yeah. liked it because it was it was such a because I'd actually forgotten about that in year one that she was a prostitute for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not that's still canon, I don't know. But <clears throat> I it's it. always it just, canon as far as Django is concerned. <laughs> um, I liked it just that it was the the kind of gritty version of Catwoman that we don't really see anymore because now she's like the anti-hero la 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 yeah <laughs> yeah I, I like it I I don't know if it makes me a hypocrite I like I like I think I like exploring the sexuality of Catwoman more than like a like a Harley Quinn or something because it feels like she's a more formed and conceptualized character and mm-hmm. and that it's a more believable part of her life to explore to me. Whereas Harley Quinn, maybe I'm just ignorant, but it, is, it feels a little bit more one dimensional and it feels like um, anymore. She mostly just serves a role to be sort of ex- explored as a sort of sexual item. Whereas, you know, Catwoman like was a prostitute. Um, and there's just so much more of her character elsewhere, el- elsewhere that it doesn't feel exploitative to be exploring that it was was yeah. my thinking but i i did yeah. think a lot about it because just sort of going off of what you had said to then think about it myself i read so many pages of comics i don't remember if that's the story i was talking about or not i also love that catwoman outfit um just yeah the the like just very like the yeah. gray mousy catwoman type outfit um yeah that's cool yeah notice in this issue they didn't have speaking of <clears throat> um characters just existing to feel like a sexy role or something. Catwoman was that during the 90s, during Jim Balance run. Mm. Notice they didn't have any stories in here that used that just Catwoman. Just pinups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just some pinups, of course. Of the, of the um, embossed cover Catwoman <laughs> by Jim Balance. <laughs> what about um, uh, the, the story that had the Kelly Jones art? Chuck Dixon wrote it, first of all. And, oh, uh, that's the one... There, okay, I lied. I didn't read every every story in this. I saw that it was Chuck Dixon, and I skipped that one. Okay, so it's Chuck Dixon with Kelly Jones penciling and Danny Mickey inking, which is a really interesting combination. Um, I liked this Kelly Jones art more than I've liked his stuff in a few years. And I loved some of the Clayface gags that they were able to pull off. Like uh, when he wants to hide the big jewel that she's stealing, he just shoves it into his chest. Um, and when she wants to get rid of him, she basically freezes him and smashes him up and then steals the, steals the jewel. 
He does um, look like he's kind of going the way of Neil Adams, though, which is like you're still really talented, but it's it's your art is kind of weird now. Yeah, it's getting more and more experimental. Which yeah, it's really hard to fault a creator for following their dream. You know, like yeah, like Bob Dylan and Tom Waits don't make the two out al- the same two albums in a row. Right. Well, sometimes Bob Dylan does two in a row, but then he switches it up pretty drastically. Yeah. So, you know. I, I hope that he keeps evolving to something I like more than that. How was the Will Pfeiffer Pia Guerra one where they're at the convention? I liked it a lot. Did you read that one, Roman? Yeah, that was funny. That was a good one. Lots of convention inside jokes, okay. and she's kind of being mind controlled through the whole thing. So nothing quite makes sense, but you're trying to solve this mystery of why nothing nothing is tracking at the same time that she's trying to solve it. Hmm. Um, and the art is the art's pretty solid. It's it's like Pia Guerra doing uh, their best Mike Alred almost. Hmm. Um, and then now Django, tell us about the final story, which you liked so much. You wrote Rom via message. It's the second to last story. Oh, actually. my beans. Oh, my yeah. beans. Uh, Rom V wrote this story of Catwoman on a road trip with her sister. Uh, and it's just like this super hard boiled dialogue. And it's just a, it's just a short road trip. Mostly no word balloons. It's mostly uh, like boxes of her narrating what's going on, and the the art is by Fernando so, Blanco. Fernando Blanco. I just really like the tone of this one, and I thought that it was it was it was my favorite of the whole thing. There's a there's a twist near the end where we find out where this is set in continuity. Oh well, don't Rompia don't don't be, spoil it. No, I won't spoil it, but I think he's writing the current series also um, or getting ready to write it. Maybe. Uh, I think Joelle Jones is still Joelle Jones's maybe. I think he's getting ready to do something with Catwoman. Cool. Um, And this was, this and the Tom King were my very favorites of the the whole issue. Do you read, did you read this one, Roman? Yeah. Did you like it? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I did not as I didn't like as much as Django, but yeah, I liked it. Okay, and then someone take me home with this final one. Well, it's Ed Brubaker and Cameron Stewart. So it yeah. sounds like Django's going to take us home with it because it's Ed Roman. Brew- it's Ed Brubaker, Django. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot, but let Django, let Django. Do if it. you can pause filleting Ed Brubaker for a second, Django, <laughs> well, and tell oh, us oh. how good this book is, that would be great. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I haven't read his series, his Catwoman series, because I think I'm missing like two issues. You know who does the art in that? Uh, Cameron Stewart. No. No, no, no. Rowan Cook did the first few. Yeah, right? yeah. He just did the beginning. Like three yeah. issues or something like that. And I, I thought it was that. longer than that, but I'm, maybe I'm, I haven't read it myself. So. It might be longer than that, but he, he didn't do as many as I wanted him to. And I just don't have the control over him that I used to, so. Yeah, well, you... Your tongue can control a man, Django. Um, <laughs> but you're, you've got so much control dictated by Ed Brubaker. Okay, dictating, dictating. Let's talk about what the score for this overall issue was. I don't feel super able to give uh, a score to the whole thing. I really enjoyed the, book, the, the pieces of it that I read. Seven and a half. Roman? That seems like a good solid score. Yep. I would have to go at least an eight for the th- two that I read. Yeah, I think well, that Tom King one. Can we just give the Tom King one a rating? Ten. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. That yeah, that'd be a ten. Okay. All right. Well, there we are then. Okay. Now listen, everyone. 
just pause for a minute. It's time to take the hair down a little bit. We're just going to relax, all right? It's three buddies. Um, right before we get into the relaxation portion, um, we're going to sort of take a lubricated area where Django's going to tell us about a graphic novel that he read. Um, so you guys, you guys, you guys start relaxing, start your breathing. I will. You, you, um, you, you tell the kids, tell the kids about if, your book. Have you been doing your Lamaze? Um, so I read Paul is Dead, When the Beatles Lost McCartney by Paolo Baron and Ernesto Cabernetti. Did you read this, Roman? No, but I don't know why I didn't read it, because I want to read it. <laughs> it's really good. It's, it's got super interesting painted art of the oh, Beatles. Nice. While they're, um, cool. I think they're recording um, 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 the Abbey White Road? Album, Abbey Road. Um, yeah, although, let's see. It, it works in a lot of Beatles myths and, and real life anecdotes. Um, they, they make some things that the Beatles thought about doing in the studio, like tying, tying one of them upside down and swinging him so that they could get the voice like going here to and from the microphone. Um, they make that reality. Um, and it, it follows the Beatles finding out that Paul has had a car wreck and has died. And so it's right before we get the, the Paul is dead. Number nine, number nine kind of thing, yeah. uh, which Jeff doesn't know anything about. And it just, it, it's got a really good voice for the Beatles. It's got a really good acid trip, which I don't usually say like the the acid trip in this story is is interesting and and works with the story it's got a little bit of mystery like is paul actually dead or did he fake it after he's after they find out that he's dead you realize that they have like it's it's a it's a matter of national security so they're interviewing this other dude to step in and take his place like to replace one of the beatles because of like how sad the nation would be if one of them died it's it's really interesting it doesn't follow the reality that we've been told but it does follow some some really cool kind of conspiracy theories and and kind of plays with with what actually happened i I think anybody who likes the beatles and isn't doesn't treat the story of the beatles as sacrosanct would probably really dig it i would give it an eight Django, while we get while we get relaxed, while we just take a second, will you will you um, tell us uh, what's the first bit of, of uh, Im- you know information we need to cover? Now we're just a couple buddies hanging out who like comics. What's up with DC? What what Dang. is DC doing? DC left Diamond. DC has been with Diamond forever. Uh, Diamond is really like the only distributor for comic books these days. Well, they were until uh, about a month ago. And so DC has cut ties with Diamond and moved over to a couple of different distributors, um, UCS and Lunar, who are both owned by pretty big online uh, discount subscription services. Um, so there, there's, there's just like this huge mess of paranoia and um, mistrust going around right now of the distributors and what DC's ultimate goals are and why they would leave diamond. And um, it's a lot of like behind the scenes bullshit that I, I think is going to get broadcast into the world and doesn't really need to for a store 
that runs like ours. Because I think that in the long run, we're going to be able to still get DC Comics. The problems that this split is going to create are not problems that our customers and DC fans need to worry about. They're things for us to worry about and deal with. And I'm not going to lie. It's going to be a, a logistical nightmare for us for the brouhaha it's like it's gonna be a logistical yeah. brouhaha i've lost um, sleep over it but i don't i don't think that it's gonna be a disaster in the long run it'll be a brouhaha but it won't go all the way to fiasco no no we're That's not letting right. this go to fiasco so frankly there is discussion the worst case scenario the thing that people are the most worried about mm-hmm. is does this does this mean that we're going to stop getting dc comics is this the first sort of like nail in the conversation of AT&T, the company who has bought Warner Brothers, um, no longer having an interest in putting out monthly periodical comic books and moving more towards like a graphic novel, young adult fiction model. Um, Maybe. That's what I've been reading as a concern. That doesn't concern me. That doesn't really concern me at all. I don't, I don't, I think that, I think that there are too many people in the world who have spent their entire life dreaming up being able to write Batman comics. Mm-hmm. that they would do it for next to nothing like i like uh i i think the demand will always be there and in, in to such an extent and the cost will always be low enough to a large parent company like at&t or warner brothers that um that fear doesn't super super scare me so if anybody has been like is listening to this has read that as a concern on the internet which i have um i i think that that's putting the cart a little bit before the horse and I'm not super concerned about that. That being said, I don't know the future, but it is worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, okay. I have the most insane idea. email we've ever gotten. You have to, I just, I'm looking at a tablet of words in front of me. So oh, everyone get ready. This is from Andrew Carlson, Fots, friend of the show for everybody, but mostly Django. So get oh, ready for this. Sin- no. not, not just, but, listen to the beginning of this all the following is very tongue-in-cheek don't take it too personally i'm sure you guys wouldn't but i just had to throw that disclaimer out there go fuck yourself i'm saying Django, get ready pucker up that butthole remember (laughs) it's the evening time the hours we're in a lax state you're in a safe place we all love you so here let's get this um for Django. wait is that from you or from him that was that was that was all my stuff uh yeah um hello Jeffremiah and the Pap Gang. As the honorary friend of the show and going awesome. through episodes in my spare time, as I tend to, the theme of Django disliking cosmic comics is very prevalent. And I ref- like to refute him publicly. Shame, Django. Shame. <laughs> can, can we, can I'll we list clarify? your reasons I've pulled out and I'll <laughs> offer a rebuttal for everyone. Then we can go to a question. Okay? Okay. Django, do you have something to say before the next paragraph? I've got it. Yeah. And I, I just want to clarify that he's talking about comics with a cosmic storyline. Oh, right. Okay. Store cosmic comics, because I really like people who own or have owned two different stores called cosmic comics. Yeah, that that's a good point. Cosmic comics, another comic shop business in our town. Also, I'm bad at reading out loud. So bear with me, everyone, because it's about to get fucking messy. Okay. <laughs> Uh, to remind you, I'll list your reasons I've pulled out and I'll offer a rebuttal for everyone. One, everyone speaks English and uses English idioms. Yes, garbage. Two, garbage. Why is that big purple guy punching that big green guy and why should I care? Uh huh. 
I stand by that. Awesome. Three, cosmic power has no limits. It's completely undefinable and non-understandable. That's unrealistic. I I can't argue with that. This guy sounds smart. (laughs) (laughs) One, I can break this down a few ways. For one, universal translator much. In Keith Giffen's Star-Lord, Peter has his cybernetic implants removed by the Kree and they can't understand a word he's saying and vice versa. It isn't until they re-implant his universal translator that everything returns to normal. Peter has to explain to his Cree lover what fingers crossed means. She calls him a developed pink ape. Furthermore, on a meta level, when I'm reading a comic, I'm typically going to expect it to be in the language that I speak. So even if the protagonist is Swedish or Japanese, I still expect to be reading English. In my head canon, they're speaking their own language or something of that matter. I just don't let it get to me, man. So I like the idea of them speaking in their own language um and and it being translated for the reader but they have to show that that's happening in old indiana jones comics they would put it brackets around it and say asterisk this is from russian yeah also what did she actually say when she called him a hairless pink ape was she talking about a hairless pink ape from planet whatever she's from or is she talking about a hairless pink ape that he's from and how can any translator be that good to grab that kind of context that part came out in the paragraph where I had devoted all of my attention to just being able to read it and say it and was not processing any of it. So uh, I'll take your word for that portion. Reading out loud is difficult. Number two. I'll give you half of that at one, Andrew. One half you, one half me. Number I'm two. judge. Why is the big purple guy punching the big green guy? Well, why is that big white guy with a skull on his chest killing all these Russian dudes? Because they killed his... You gotta read the story to know the motivations. Does pink, green, purple, etc. skin just make you weirded out or something? <laughs> Again, in Keith Giffen's Annihilation, he shows the tender, loving, and broken parts of Super Scroll, Ronan, Nova, and more. You can relate to these aliens. They have children, lives, cultures too. You just gotta learn about them. That's fair, and I can't <laughs> argue with it. Uh, I don't have the patience to learn why Thanos is a sympathetic character. Why are you reading him punch somebody? I'm not. I'm letting other people read that. Okay. All right. Hey, listen. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. You're the guy taking Andrew Carlson's subscriber discount off. <laughs> Number three, um, which was Cosmic Power Has No Limits and Stem. Wrapping it up with another quote from Keith Giffen. I like who he Jesus chose as his source material because you are such a Giffen head. Uh, Keith Giffen's Annihilation. Spoilers for the story ahead. Spoilers, everyone. We should have said that at the beginning of the show. <laughs> Thanos is talking to a nihilist. God, it makes me want to read Hickman's Fantastic Four. An episode by episode, an issue by issue <laughs> podcast of Hickman's Fantastic Four. And uh, Giffen's Justice League. <laughs> okay, I have that book. I finally did it. Thanos is talking to a nihilist as he's been researching for an issue or two how to redirect Galactus's cosmic power to into a nihilist. You know, because they chained him up and turned him into a Death Star. Anyway, the quote. It's not short. You asked for the <laughs> biological application of cosmic power, but biology presumes flesh. There are cosmic entities that are not of biology, beings of, inher- beings of inert matter or pure energy. Once imbued with cosmic energy, form adapts to function. Biology is the least of it. Life force, on the other hand, there we have the answers we seek. We were blinded by our own arrogance. We are of biology, so therefore cosmic energy must be of biology as well. But this is not so. 
call it what you will, aura, energy field, luminescence, call it a soul if it suits you. Cosmic energy is a life force, the singular energy that powers all life, biological or otherwise. It does not bond with our auras. It replaces them. Cosmic power acts as an energy parasite for lack of a better term. One imbued with cosmic energy, the individual form adapts to it. It's okay. It's long, superficial ways. Too long, didn't read. It comes from the writer, the cosmic being ruling over the person's universe. It fits to adapt to the story for a reason, whether it be weak at one point or strong at another. In a way, it can be an enhancement of your truest self-given form. Um, All right. That one tell I don't me, follow as well because I was reading it out loud. Tell me the one thing that I like reading less than a cosmic story. A dream sequence. A dream sequence set... In an acid trip. On a Mobius strip. Oh, right. And while okay, you sorry, were reading that... You- my eyes crossed and your little zoom panel turned into a Mobius strip and two people walking around talking about that shit. It's, okay. It's so Andrew, just, our point there which is, is awesome. I love yeah, this. I did just, too. I'm the asshole. I will, I will <laughs> gladly be the asshole. I still I, don't like it. I would just say, Andrew, um, you know, I certainly haven't taken debate. Um, you've got a lot of good points here. Just remember who your audience is when you're talking. (laughs) And if the answer somehow incorporates that which the audience already rejects, then the answer can't be true. And in that one, because the text did sound like a Mobius strip at one point, it was never going to be able to affect Django. He is resistant to cosmic ideas. Overall, I just missed you guys and had to write up a fake rant at Django for his dislike of cosmic comics. Not the store. (laughs) <laughs> comics store. that takes place cosmically can't no. wait for the store to be open again mostly just to see all of your smiling and non-smiling faces so the question <laughs> what is your favorite cosmic level hero it can be anything from the publisher series uh from any publisher or series be it black hammers dr star to flash gordon andrew carlson friend of the show and then a ps note mm. i'm not going to read my favorite? Can you guys go first? Everyone's like, my brain okay. is overheating. Here. Yeah, sorry. You're, I, had, I yeah. just had to defend my opinion on whether I enjoy cosmic comic books or not. Okay. I, Andrew, if you can do the same thing to me, I would get a thrill out of it. If you can find some <laughs> sort of internal inconsistencies with me over the last 170 episodes, of which there are an incalculable numbers, uh, I would love to have to respond to them uh, live. That would be thrilling. Send it to Django and he'll drill me um uh cosmic level hero favorite yeah well you can drill me or quiz me or whatever (laughs) (laughs) um as long as you can distract yourself from ed brubaker for long enough um quit quit filleting ed would you stop filleting ed oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) um keep that in this podcast but (laughs) him and steve lieber are just sort of forming a a group they have to go to like they have to go to a support crew um people that papcast has said such foul things about they should have edited it out who knows if he will so favorite cosmic level hero cosmic level hero okay roman what's yours hero? i i'm gonna have to stretch the boundaries of that with my answer um silver surfer oh good yeah. before you get he's... into it oh no please get into it actually oh okay yeah because he's noble and poetic and you know is when stanley and jack kirby introduced him i mean that's still the characterization even though he's grown past that that i love is just that his overwrought anxious like like shakespearean tragedy of his existence his story oh, Sad so and good. Alone. yeah you know yeah. so for 
listeners. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was just for any listeners who don't know, Roman, what is it that Justin most frequently compares you to? A mad sea captain? A yeah. bird? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I probably am the bird comparison. I think that, uh, yeah, uh, a man at sea, a, a, a mad sea captain. And yeah. what, what, when ships and sailing the sea, you know, back then, if you couldn't go to space, where did you go? You went to the sea. Went to the seas. You're an explorer. You're, uh, I would say uh, your, your, your statement about Silver Surfer, he reminds me of a space version of a lonely sea captain, which is what Justin is constantly <laughs> referring to you as in a million beautiful, eloquent ways. So all that to say, it all, it's all very internally consistent to me because I do. You are a man at sea or a man alone on a surfboard surfing the cosmic ocean waves endlessly. So is it Kirby's? Silver Surfer? Is it Starlin Silver Surfer? Is it Busema? Um, slot? But yeah, Django, if you're asking like my favorite surfer writers, yeah, it would actually it'll be Stan Lee, Dan Slot. Um, Starlin's cool. I mean, he's got some classic stories, but he's not one of my favorite writers. It's like a silver guy punching a purple guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you you also liked the Donny Cates one, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Donnie Cates one. Yep. That was really good. Well, I almost wanted to interject mine um, as you started yours because it's part and parcel. I want to say Galactus, who not cosmic hero, but I think you could maybe say like cosmic, you know, ambivalent force, um, you know, like maybe not having good or bad assigned to it. It's beyond mere good or evil. Yeah. To quote Stan. My quote-unquote definition of a cosmic character is also my problem with a cosmic character, and that's that there is no uh, reader surrogate. There's no Luke Skywalker in that scenario. So Hmm. you don't get a human perspective on Thanos. You don't get a human perspective on Silver Surfer most of the time. Well, but don't you? Well, you do in the damn Surfer run. Yeah, I would say the exact opposite with the Silver Surfer. Right, so 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 Silver Surfer is the one that came up to my mind as, as the exception, but I, but I would I, I, I did also see what you're saying, which is for the most part, unless explicitly humanized, mm-hmm. then I have a really hard time identifying with them. And and the Silver Surfer has been explicitly humanized, but also I can see that that's not the t- necessarily the type of story or character you're generally really into. So like Punisher's family was killed and he turns into a bad guy, good guy, and starts killing mobsters. Cosmic right? ghostwriter. I get it. But when Drax's whole family is killed by Thanos, all of that is too spacey and abstract. And I can't identify with any character in there because, uh, because Thanos is like a person stepping on ants and Drax is ants. And like none of that clicks for me at all. Like, how do you fight somebody who's that overpowered? And that's that's where my problem comes in. So, like, the Dan Slott Silver Surfer story, which I am ashamed I haven't read all of, but every single issue that I read hit me in some weird new feeling spot. Um, I love that. So if you forced me to choose a cosmic character that I liked, it would be from the seven or eight issues of Dan Slott and Mike Allred's run of Silver Surfer. <laughs> you like Cosmic Ghostwriter, right? Um, I liked I liked the first miniseries. Yeah, it's too soon um, to say. You're probably right. But I did. I I hated everything after that, and I haven't read the Thanos story that he first appeared in. But I, I liked the issue or two that I read from it. 
we would I thank love- you all for listening to episode 100 and what I think is 82. I don't know. But yeah, I don't even remember anymore. Well, one you haven't. Thing, one- you didn't even know we've been doing them for the last big chunk of time, dude. <laughs> I was like, you want to do it with us? He's like, I did. I didn't even remember. That. I don't know what is happening in your dried salmon. This is this is still a thing. <laughs> I'm Jeff, and I will be your first mate. Darn. It sucks that it's a sex term. <laughs> I didn't mean it. First mate is a sex term? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like your first mate. Oh, okay. I, didn't <laughs> I think you just made me pee a little bit. Just poor body control. That's that was weird. <laughs> Good luck editing this one, Jeff. Oh, it'll be.